there and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. But the thought of gifts at Easter, the thought of gifts at Easter has really captivated me. Chocolate, t-shirts, and gifts in general. And it reminded me of a story that I heard a couple of weeks back about a lecturer. And this lecturer used to lecture in a college, and at the end of every year, his students would give, give him a gift, just like this. And he accrued gift after gift, year after year. And in the boxes was a handkerchief with the students' initials on. The students' initials on. And the idea was that when he opened up the handkerchief, he'd be like, oh, I remember that student. And it would bring back loads of memories about the students gone by. But obviously, you don't need that many handkerchiefs. So he used to store these handkerchiefs in his cupboard. And year after year, these boxes were stacking up in his cupboard. Gifts that he didn't really want anymore. Gifts that he knew what was in the gift, so he didn't want to open it. And one day he he retired and wanted to clear out his cupboard, so started opening boxes. And he went through and opened the first box. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Opened the next box. Oh, I remember that. Got to one box. It was a bit heavier. Looked the same. They all looked the same. And he thought, ah, I know what's going to be in there. It's just a a bigger hanky. (laughs) But as he opened it, suspense. Ah, ah. It wasn't a hanky. And there was a little note on top of this gift, and it said, sir, you are worth more than a hanky. And for years, this gift had been stuck in the cupboard, and he couldn't use it. You see, this gift was a very, very, very special antique pocket watch. And it had been sat in the cupboard for years and years and years. And he didn't open the gift. He did not open the gift. It was just sat there. And it got me thinking around, if I gave a gift to someone and they left it sat in a cupboard, I'd be upset. Because there's something around picking a gift. You think about the person. You're thinking about what they're going to enjoy, what they're going to love, what will help them out. And this gift just sat there. What I love about Easter is, is the Bible talks around Jesus being a gift to us from God. A gift. And in John 3.16, probably the most famous Bible verse ever, it says that God gave Jesus to us so that we wouldn't die, but we would live forever. A gift to us. The challenge is, do we want to open it? Because with Jesus comes heaps of follow-on gifts. And you have the choice today to open the gift or leave this box in the cupboard of your life. Can I pray before I start? Father, I thank you that, that you are a good God, a God who loves us, a God who cares about us, a God who gives us gifts. And I pray today, Father, that you will help 
Let's all unwrap this gift of Jesus. Unwrap the freedom that you give. Unwrap the hope that you give. Unwrap the joy that you give today in church. Father, speak to every single one of us today in this building. And may we leave never being the same again. Amen. Amen. I need, to, um, I need to level with you guys before I start. So I prepped a message a couple of weeks ago for today, um, a really nice message on God's love. And I was really, really like pleased with this message. Um, and then this week, um, God said, no, wh- why are you talking about that? It's like, God, do you, do you not understand? I've, I've spent two or three weeks praying into this and prepping this, and it's a good one. And God said, no, no, no. I don't want you to talk about that. I want you to talk about this. Yeah, but God, that's a bit harder. It's nice talking about God's love. But today I want to talk about the power that we find at the cross. The power that we find at the cross. And it comes from my readings this week in Luke chapter 7. And it starts like this. Jesus went to the village Nain. His disciples were with him, along with quite a large crowd. As they approached the village gate, they met a funeral procession. A woman's only son was being carried out for burial, and her mother was a widow. When Jesus saw her, his heart broke. His heart broke. He said to her, don't cry. And then he went and touched the coffin. The pallbearer stopped. He said, young man, I tell you, get up. Get up. The dead son sat up and began talking. Jesus then presented him to his mother. They all realized that they were in a place of holy mystery. Holy mystery. And that God was at work among them. They were quietly worshipful and noisily grateful, noisily grateful, calling out among themselves, God is back, looking to the needs of his people, and then the news of Jesus spread through all the country. And I've highlighted four things on this passage, because there's four powers that are at work in this story. And these words jumped out to me. And I realized that's what I need to communicate today because God's doing this work in me. And so I'm going to go through these four powers. And at the end of each power, there's a question for you. And the question, you can write it down or just reflect on it. And the idea is, is that we can journey this devotion together as God does some work in us. Because questions need to be answered. Not right now and not out loud, but with you and God. The first power that I see in action in this story It's the power of compassion. The power of compassion. The story says that when Jesus saw her, his heart broke. That's a a powerful statement right there. Jesus, the Son of God, his heart broke. The good thing about Jesus is he knew everything. He knew that, that she was a widow, so she suffered heartbreak in the past. He knew that this was her only son. And he knew the implications of this because her son represented her future. Her son represented who's going to look after her. Her son represented finance, company, love. Her son represented all of that. And he died. And Jesus' heart broke. Jesus' heart broke. We pick up this story, and previous to this, Jesus had just talked to a Roman centurion and had said to him, your faith is the greatest I've ever seen. Never seen faith like it. 
So there must have been a buzz in the community around faith. And then Jesus rocks up and does this miracle. Raising faith. Raising faith. The cool thing is, is that Jesus' heart breaks over you too. He sees your pain. He sees your disappointments. He sees your hurts. He sees your dreams and your desires. And his heart breaks. Because he's a God of compassion. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on creation. Psalm 86.15, But you, O God, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. The power of compassion. And when we talk around compassion, I don't just mean recognizing someone's need. Because sometimes we tick the compassion box by just recognizing someone's need. That is not compassion. Compassion is then activating something to help with the need. Help with the need. Bless you. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. And my question to reflect on compassion is this. Where do you need to activate compassion in your life? Where do you, you as an individual, not as a family, but you as an individual, where do you need to activate compassion? Maybe, maybe you need to allow God's compassion to just flow into you today. You need to, you, you need to allow God just to, to deal with you and heal you and restore you, and his compassion needs to flow from heaven to you today. But maybe you need to activate compassion in your world to someone else. Maybe you need to start not just seeing a need, but trying to respond to the need. The power of compassion. The next power at play that I highlight in this story is the power of holy mystery. The power of holy mystery. And my thought around this, this idea is that the mystery is, is something that was hidden that God has now revealed. That God has now revealed. You see, there's something interesting around this village called Nain. Nain, where this miracle happened. Years and years and years before, just outside this village, Elisha raised a son from the dead. Years and years before, just outside the village of Nain. Just outside, in a village called Shuam. Just outside. So at the end of the story, when it says, God is back, looking to the needs of his people. That's why. Because they knew. They knew this village, around this area, miracles happened. They knew around this village, people in the past had been raised to life. And God's back. He's done it again. And God had revealed something to his people. And my thought is, imagine if you were a fringe player at this gathering. It says a large crowd were there. A large crowd. Imagine if you were three or four deep, so you could kind of see what was happening, but you weren't there. Imagine if you were 10 or 12 deep, so you can hear something happening, but you miss what is happening. How often is that true in, in our church world, where we, we're happy to be a fringe player and stand away from what God's doing, and we miss it. We miss it. The thing I love about God is that with this holy mystery and the power of holy mystery is that he doesn't just reveal stuff like that all the time. Sometimes he does, but sometimes it's breadcrumbs. And we follow. 
I would pick up the bread crumb and eat it and move on to the next stage. And it reminded me of what I do at Easter because I always do a treasure hunt at Easter for my girls. And there's a difference between my style treasure hunt and Laura's style treasure hunt. So Laura will literally just get some eggs and just throw them on the grass, job done. And the girls are right there for two minutes and they're in and then they're bored again. And they've done it, they've completed it. But they've only got a few eggs. My style treasure hunt is a proper treasure hunt. So there may be like one or two eggs on the patio or the grass just to keep the girls engaged a bit, but that's it. The rest of the eggs, they do need to work. They need to dig. There's eggs that are buried. There's eggs that are in trees. There's eggs that are on roofs. Literally, the treasure hunt is a proper treasure hunt. But, but, the best eggs are the ones they work for. So when I'm talking about the big Easter eggs, they're in the tree. They've got to get this from the tree. They've got to get it from the tree. Health and safety, yes. But the risk and reward, yes. Holy mystery. What is God revealing on this treasure of life? And my reflection question on this is what is God trying to reveal to you? What is God trying to reveal to you? The power of holy mystery. Sometimes it is the ah! moment, but more often than not, it's the treasure hunt moment. It's the breadcrumb. It's the egg on the floor that you pick up and look for the next one. What is God trying to reveal to you? My next power, and this is a cool one, and we're not so good at this one. The power of being noisily grateful. The power of being noisily grateful. You see, we're, we're really good at being quietly worshipped for. We can sit there and reflect and we can sit there in silence and we can allow everyone else to praise. And sometimes that's good. But it says they were quietly worshipped for and they're noisily grateful. Another translation says it differently. It says fear seized them, but yet they glorified God. Fear seized them, but yet they glorified God. And I was thinking around this idea of quietly worshipful, being attached to fear, and noisily grateful, being attached to glorifying God. And how often we can hide behind our fears as a reflection, because that's easy for us to do. But God wants us to be noisily grateful. He wants us to praise loud. He wants us to cheer him. Noisily grateful. And my question is, what are you noisily grateful for? Or are you never noisily grateful? And I know for me, it's really easy to sit there and reflect. But sometimes there's something that you need to roar about. Sometimes by the shout, you rise. What are you noisily grateful for? One thing that I've been trying to look at in my life are the little miracles that I take for granted. Stuff happens all the time, and I pull it down to circumstance, or good luck, or good favor, or the fact that I've got skills that I've managed to, to make stuff work. And God challenged me and said, no, these are mini miracles that I'm dropping in your life all the time. Why aren't you grateful to me? Sorry, God. So I'm trying to look at everything at the moment and how can I be noisily grateful for what God is doing in my world? 
And I guarantee if you stop and reflect and look at what God's doing in your world, there'll be something that you can shout about. There'll be something that you can praise him for. What are you noisily grateful for? And my last power that I want to talk about is a really cool one. And this is the power of transaction. Because this story is one big transaction of death to life. Of death to life. What I find interesting um, about what Ali shared during worship is this valley experience. Because Nain is in a valley. The village of Nain was at the bottom of a valley. And it was a nice village. It was green. It was luscious. And the word Nain literally means beautiful green place. But in the midst of this valley was death. Was death. And it took Jesus to come into this this village and do his power of transaction where he took death and created life. He took death and created life. Death to life. And the thing is with Jesus, whenever you come to Jesus, there is always a transaction because we bring stuff to him and he gives us stuff back, just different things. So we bring our baggage, our sin and our fears and our failures, the stuff we don't like about ourselves, and we dump it at the foot of a cross. And we don't walk away. He then replaces it with something better, with hope and joy. Confidence, courage, boldness, with love, with peace. The power of transaction. The power of transaction. What I love is we see all of these powers in play at the cross. We see, we see the power of compassion. That's why God did it. We see the power of holy mystery. He was revealing something to us. We see the power of being noisily grateful because if we can't be noisily grateful for that, what can we be grateful for? Like God giving his only son for us as a gift. If we can't say thank you for that. And the power of transaction. I wonder if Annabelle, you could join me on stage, please, as I bring this to land. Because there's a, there's a really cool story that, um, that I read recently. And... Um, it's about this guy, he'll, he'll come on screen, a guy called Kyle MacDonald. And um, he's, he's, he's unknown to, to most people, a student in the USA. And um, he, he wanted to understand this power of transaction. So what he wanted to do is to see what he could trade for a red paperclip. He got this idea in his head, ah, oh, I wonder who would, like trade something up for this. So he took a red paper clip and started asking people, oh, do you want to swap my paper clip for something? And then, and then word got out, so he started putting stuff on the internet around, I've been offered this for a red paper clip, but can anyone offer me anything more? And let me tell you about his journey, because he, he made 14 trades, 14 transactions, and he went from this to something really cool. So he traded this 
a red paperclip for a fish-shaped pen. He traded the pen for a hand-sculpted doorknob. <laughs> he traded the doorknob for a camp stove, including fuel. He traded the stove for a generator. He traded the generator for an instant party setup of all the lights and discos. He traded the party for a snowmobile. That's a cool trade-up. <laughs> That's a cool, but he didn't want to stop there. He then traded the snowmobile for a weekend away in British Columbia, and then traded the weekend away for a truck. So he's gone from a paperclip to a truck. He then traded the truck for a recording contract, and then the contract for a year's rent on a place in Phoenix. He's got, got a year's rent out of a paperclip here, but that wasn't enough. He then traded up from the year's rent to an afternoon with a rock star. I then traded the afternoon with a rock star for a limited edition, only one of these made, snow globe, only a special one. He traded that for a role in a movie from a paperclip. And then his last trade, his 14th trade, was from a role in a movie to a two-story house. Paperclip to a house in 14 trades, 14 transactions, the power of transaction. And he was interviewed after, and he, Carl said this, he said, it wasn't about the paperclip. It's not about having to sell it. It's not about what it's really worth. If I hadn't traded away this paperclip, I'd just be a guy sitting here at a desk, holding this in my hands, wondering what would happen if I ever traded it. Red paper clip, the power of transaction. And the truth is, we all have a red paper clip, so to speak, in our world. We all have something that we choose to hold on to. As I think today, God's trying to stir us as people to, to try and trade that off, to create a transaction with God and give Him what we have, insignificant like a paper clip. And I guarantee. As you bring a paperclip to him, he'll trade up with you. Maybe, maybe your paperclip is, is disappointment. Because you're just disappointed with stuff. God's not answering what you want him to answer. And today he's saying, bring that paperclip back to me. Because there's power in transaction with God. Transaction's a two-way thing. You can't have half a transaction. A transaction is you bring something, you get something back. Maybe, maybe your, your pain clip today is, is like illness or health problems, mental health problems, and you're just frustrated with God. Today could be the day, you know. It could be the day. It could be the, the Nain moment, the village Nain, where, where Jesus just wandered around and heals someone and brings them back to life. It could be, could be the day today. The power of transaction. It could be that you don't know what your paperclip is, and that's okay. I encourage you to come to God anyway and allow him to reveal, highlight something in your life, because we all have something. I've got heaps of paperclips hanging around in me, and I could sit there with my paperclips. I could bring them to God and allow him to trade up on me 
allow him to use his power of transaction. What we're going to do is move into a time of communion together with all this as the context. And communion is, is a transactional moment. It's where we get to celebrate the cross and we thank God for his life. Thank God for, for coming back to life. And he did it for us. It was the power of transaction. And today, church, at the, at the community, communion tables, I'm going to put loads of paper clips because I've got a box here of paper clips. And the idea is, is that when we take communion today, as families, don't do it on your own. I want you to take a paper clip. And this paper clip is not special, it's not magical, it's not powerful, but it can help you remember. It can help you remember the power of transaction. You might want to try trading up your paperclip and be the new Carl McDonald. And in a year's time, you can say, hey, I've now got a house because of this. Or you might want to keep it in your wallet as a memory. You might want to keep it in your car as a reminder. Keep it in your bedside table. So every morning you wake up and say, thank you, God, for the power of transaction. So that's what we're going to do. There's two stations, one at the back and one at the front. And as you come and take communion today, I thank God for the power of transaction. But don't just thank, bring something to him. Bring, bring your stuff to him and allow him to, to trade up on you.